this time of year, there's lots of things that are going on, lots of celebrations and family things that come together. There's some traditions and, and holidays and things that happen, and, and we look forward to that for the most part. There's other things maybe we feel is a little bit more of an obligation. But this time of year is special. I really enjoy it. I really do love this time of year for lots of different reasons. And there's lots of big events that go on, and there's even some smaller events as well. There's a Thanksgiving, and then we have that followed by giving thanks of going to get a bunch of stuff and running people over on Black Friday and Cyber Monday and looking for deals and buying stuff online. But maybe you've heard about this as a really neat thing that happens that Monday after Giving Tuesday. Have you guys heard about that? Where there's lots of very generous people who are giving. And there's even so many different foundations that if you give to any organi charitable organization, they don't care what it is, that they'll match it dollar for dollar up to a certain amount. Now, I don't know what the numbers were from this year. Uh, but the year before, $168 million were given to charity on giving, on giving Tuesday. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? People just giving and wanting to think of others before they think of themselves. And that's an astronomical figure. We live in a world where we kind of become jaded to big numbers and big things. Like, oh, it's only, only $168 million. That's only half of a good uh, Powerball jackpot. That's not all that much. But really, $168 million came from people and that were given on one day. But that follows and it comes on the heels of Cyber Monday and Black Friday, which contributes about $7 billion in revenue. Now, what that does is we spend $7 billion on ourselves and other people, and then this $168 million doesn't sound quite so grand. Last year, in fact, you're not going to be very surprised at this, that people who put Christmas on their credit cards went to debt on an average of $1,000. And 65% of the people who went into debt going into Christmas didn't plan on doing it. You've ever been there? It just kind of happened. And in fact, you know, some of us enjoy Christmas so much that we want it to start in the very beginning and last for a really long time. We talk about Christmas in July. We just want Christmas all the time because we just love Christmas so much. Well, one unfortunate way that sometimes our behavior has allowed us to participate in Christmas all year is that a lot of the people who put Christmas on their credit cards last year, um, especially the younger generation, are still paying for it this year. That's a really bad way to make Christmas last all year. I don't think that's what any of us would have in mind when we say, hey, I want to celebrate Christmas all year long. Let me pay off this stuff. In fact, it wasn't just Black Friday. Black Friday became Black and Blue Friday because it beats us up, and maybe we overspend when we're not careful, when we don't have a plan uh, with what we're going to do and how we're going to honor God with all that we have, our finances, our time, and how we're going to steward things. Uh, on average, most of the people that spent that $1,000 on their cards of money they didn't have were paying that off until April. Let's face it, honestly, Christmas is too fat. Christmas is too fat on our wallets. It's too fat on our calendars. It takes up too much of our time. There's too many obligations. There's too much stuff for us to do, and you just feel frantic sometimes. You feel like there's all these things I have to do, and it becomes very easy for us to lose sight of what Christmas is all about. Based on some of these figures, and I know from experience, sometimes Christmas isn't too kind on our financial statements or our bank accounts or wallets. And sometimes you may agree that sometimes maybe the, the epitome of what's gone wrong with Christmas is the, the magical guy who flies through the sky and delivers presents and eats six, six billion cookies, sending him into a diabetic coma until next Thanksgiving. That's why we don't ever hear from him again. But what if I tell you this story of a real man? I'm not talking... Um, magic. I'm not talking about make-believe. Uh, I'm talking about the story of a, a real person. His name was Nicholas of Myra. What if I told you that the legend that became Santa started out as the as skinny pastor who wanted to help kids? 
He used wealth that was given to him to go out and to help other people, to do what Jesus said to do, to think of other people before you think of yourself. And what if maybe even if we focused on what we do know and the true historical facts, that could help us spread the story of Jesus. So that's what's going to go on over the next four weeks. Um, I'm working with a group of preachers, and we call this Skinny Santa. We're trying to cut back on what we do for ourselves so that we can give more to other people. And we're going to look at these different gifts that St. Nick gave to people that honor the spirit of what Christmas is all about and what Jesus is all about. We're going to look at different gifts every week. And this week we're going to look at a, a gift where Nick gave three bags of gold to three young girls who otherwise would have gone through a horrible instance in their life. I don't know about you guys, but I've never had to return money that somebody gave me as a present. It always fits. It's always exactly what I want, and it's always the right size. I know that doesn't always hold true for some other gifts, but that works. But here's a video I want us to watch, and we'll talk about these gifts and how they fit in to the Christmas story of Jesus, and then what we as the church can do to help show other people Jesus. Let's watch this. Everyone knows Santa's story once he got to the North Pole, but what did he do before then? Santa was born in the modern-day country of Turkey, which sounds more like Thanksgiving than Christmas. And he hadn't started eating all of those cookies we leave for him yet, so he was quite skinny. His parents were very wealthy, and when they died, they left him a large inheritance. Santa didn't want to be selfish, so he decided to help as many people as possible with his money. Just down the road from Santa, a family with three daughters ran out of money and didn't even have anything to eat. Their only hope for the daughters to stay alive was for them to get married, but they didn't have the money to do so. When St. Nick heard about this family, he knew he had to help, but he wanted to do it secretly. So on three different nights, while the family was asleep, he went by their house and threw a small bag of gold in the window that was enough for each daughter's wedding. But on the last night, the father stayed up to see who was giving the gold to his daughters. When the bag of gold came in the window, the father ran out and chased down Santa, tackled him, thanked him profusely, and praised God for saving his daughters' lives. But that's not all. Rumor has it when Santa threw one of the bags of gold through the window, it landed in one of the daughters' socks that she had drying by the fireplace. And that's how Santa got his start delivering gifts into people's stockings at night. Isn't that great? I mean, how far would that go of telling if you, you hang stockings and you put those up? That you tell that story of giving in St. Nicholas of Myra and how he gave from what he was given through horrible circumstances, none of which any of us would ever want to happen, the loss of parents, but they were in a position where they left him wealth, and he didn't want to keep that for himself and to be selfish because we know that when we just hold on to things, um, they can kind of consume us. But he said, I want to look for the needs of other people. And what happened with these first gifts that Nicholas gave to those three young girls, they weren't gifts of excess. They weren't things that they wanted. They weren't things that they asked for. They weren't things like that. But they were gifts of necessity. In fact, even of this story, we had to clean up the video a little bit so it would be appropriate for people of all ages. So honestly, the reality was is that the family was going to have to starve to death because they couldn't pay for the daughters or they would have to sell the daughters into the oldest institution known to man as a profession so that they could take care of themselves. But instead, what this gift did is it allowed the daughters to get married and to be cared for. And because Nicholas cared for others more so than he cared for himself, 
the livelihood of this family, the integrity, the unity of the family was protected because he was willing to give something away. Can you imagine being in such a desperate situation with your kids where you have to decide, am I going to feed them or are we going to have to do something questionable for us or not even questionable, something horrible for them just so that the rest of the family can get by? Can you imagine being faced with such a choice? Maybe you can't, but for the reality of the world, the majority of the world, uh, a big portion of it, that's a reality that they face every day. Guys, one-sixth of the world lives on less than $1 a day. Another sixth of the world lives less than $2 a day. So that's a third of the population of our planet where we live that lives on less than $2 a day. $2. I don't even think about $2. I would say, that doesn't even cross my mind. Oh, it's $2 over budget or $2 too much or $2. Yet a third of the people that live on this world today uh, get by on that. Not only that, but there's an estimated 100 million street children growing up in the world today in different countries and different circumstances. Literally homeless kids, many of them between 5 and 10 years old. And the way that they provide for themselves is they go around and they dig through trash. And they're not just looking for food, but if they find that, they'll eat that. They try to find something of value, scrap metal, something that they can sell so they can buy a little bit of bread so that they can get through the day. I want to show you a picture of a little boy named Jonathan who lives in the streets in Kenya. The Maxwells are a family that uh, I know through a good friend that work, and they move to Kenya, and they work with their street kids in Kenya to help provide for them, to help teach them about Jesus, but to provide basic necessary care that you and I don't think really honestly give a second thought to most of the time. But what Jonathan does is that he digs through trash, and he tries to do that to provide for himself to get something to eat. And I'm convinced that Jonathan, God loves Jonathan as much as he loves your kids. That God loves Jonathan as much as he loves me. And God loves every one of us so much that anything that we can do to help, and honestly, the problem seems overwhelming. Because really, there's too much to do. There's too much to help. You might say, Joel, well, yeah, we can help kids in Kenya, but there's people here that are starving. You know what? You're right. But the biggest thing for us to do is to help. We can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. I don't know how God's going to lead you to help other people. I don't know how God's going to lead you to go skinny this Christmas and cut back so that you can give to somebody who maybe you don't even know who they are yet, but God's going to put them in your life so that you can help them get the things that they need. In fact, this story of St. Nick and the three bags of gold that he gave out, I have to think that he's working uh, with those three daughters with kids just like Jonathan who are faced with things that I'm never honestly probably going to face in my lifetime, but that's the reality that happens. And I know that it's really easy to hear about the different organizations that work with kids, CMF International, World Vision, and Compassion International, and go, well, I just, I'm going to turn the channel, or I don't want to hear that, or it just sounds like another commercial, or I'll think about it for a minute and then feel bad and then go do something else and not worry about it anymore. But maybe what we should do is think about it more often. Maybe instead, when we come up with our Christmas budgets and what we're going to do and how we're going to allocate not just our time but our financial resources as well, maybe, maybe you've got five people you're buying gifts for. I would encourage you to add a sixth and take the money that you're going to spend and give it to somebody else. Maybe it's just the money. Maybe it's just you're going to be kind to somebody as you go throughout this Christmas season. You're going to come across somebody who needs it. 
And you might say, well, I've already planned this in here. Now, we don't all, some of us really like to have plans and to stick with those. God will wreck those and mess with them. But sometimes we put ourselves in a better situation if we're not maxed out on our capacity on time or our capacity on financial resources where we're pressed with a need and we say, I can't because I didn't think ahead of time. So maybe I'd encourage you. Maybe you're buying for five. Maybe you're buying for three. Maybe you're not buying anything. But add one more line to it. And take whatever you're going to spend and do that and do it for somebody else. Maybe it's to help a kid who wouldn't have Christmas presents otherwise. And you might say, Joel, Christmas presents don't really matter. It's a kid. They'll forget about it. Well, they might, but they may not. Because what God wants is he wants every kid to feel loved and to be cared for. And sometimes those gifts, even though they're insignificant to us or they might break or they might not even care about them three months from now, they let them know that somebody else that they've never met loves them. And cares for them. You see, I think that we've gotten it backwards a lot of times when we talk about Christmas. We say, well, what do I want for Christmas? And we're going to change the name. Not to what do I want, but we're going to cross that out. We're going to say, not what do I want, but what can I give for Christmas? That's a better approach about what we're going to do and how we're going to approach the story of Jesus and how we're going to share. What am I going to give? What are we as a family going to give? How are we going to decide that we're going to honor God and help other people that we come across? St. Nicholas used his wealth to give these three girls in need. Bags of gold inspires us to do the same. But there's another story about three gifts that kind of started this whole gift-giving thing in the process. The wise men came, and they sought out Jesus, and they brought these precious gifts. If you want to read the story, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2 and read verses 1 to 15. I could read that to you, but I'd rather show it to you. I encourage you to read it, but here's the story of the wise men from Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in a region where the evil King Herod ruled. About the time of Jesus' birth, some wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, asking King Herod, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was angered by what he heard. A king other than himself? In his own land? Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, are one of the smallest towns in Judah, but from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. He comes from very old times, from days long ago. Then King Herod called the wise men back in for a private meeting. He told the wise men, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. After listening to the king, the wise men left to follow the star. They arrived at the place where Jesus was, and going into the house they found the promised child and his mother Mary. They gave him offerings of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and were so overjoyed at the fulfillment of God's promise, they bowed before Jesus and worshipped him. That night in a dream, the wise men were warned about returning to King Herod. He was plotting to kill Jesus. When they awoke, they departed and traveled back to their home country a different way. It's a phenomenal story. It's a great story. It's a part of the best story that's ever been told. What God did with these wise men who came and provided and offered these gifts to Jesus as he's born. 
But there's very, some very practical responses to the Magi and what they offered and how God's provision worked through their willingness to travel thousands of miles, uh, maybe in the not most comfortable way, to offer gifts to somebody that I don't think they fully understood who it was or how much their gifts would have impacted their lives. Really what I see that these Magi did, these wise men offered life-saving gifts to Jesus and to Mary and to Joseph. Because we know from the Christmas story, the majority of it that we get, we take from what Matthew tells us and we take from the Gospel of Luke tells us, and that gives us the majority, really all of what we know about Jesus' birth and his life um, with the wise men and the shepherds and the angels. But what we know from the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offered in the temple is that they were poor. They didn't have great means. You knew about how much people had based on the gift that they gave in the temple. And based on what Mary and Joseph gave, they weren't people of great resources. But God still chose them very specifically to raise his son. Now, we also know that he'd been on vacation before, and sometimes vacation works like Christmas. Sometimes you're paying off vacation until the next vacation comes around. And that can be challenging, and it can just kind of get out of hand. Um, but traveling is difficult. Traveling with a little baby is next to impossible for the most part, sometimes I feel like. But it gets expensive. Now, think about Mary and Joseph traveling, going to his homeland because there was a census that had to be taken. The Gospel of Luke tells us that. And yeah, they probably had some family that maybe they would be able to stay with, but sometimes the family's house is full because everybody else is in town too, and you've got to find some other place to sleep or to stay. But Mary and Joseph, not being people of great financial um, clout, God tells them not only are you going to come here to Bethlehem, you're not going back to your homeland, but you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to go to a place that you've never been before, and you've got to find a way to live there. These life-saving gifts that the Magi gave of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And y'all, it's the frankincense and myrrh that I think had more value to the gold. Because what they did, that's, that's collateral. That's stuff that they could sell, that's stuff that they could trade, that's stuff that they could trade for food or for a place to live or to travel or to take care of the kids and the family and everything that they needed. God provided through these wise men. Because it's widely believed, and I believe it to be true as well, that I don't think Mary and Joseph would have had the means to go to Egypt and to live there for a while, let alone maybe the trip to Bethlehem was a stretch. I mean, now, God, you're going to call me to go to somewhere else, but I'll do it because you say that's what I have to do to protect Jesus. We know that we'll do whatever we need to to protect our kids. You know, what God did with these gifts of the Magi is that they protected Jesus and allowed them what they needed so that he could be safe and that they could live in Egypt. So maybe like Nicholas of Myra who came before us or the Magi who offered these original gifts, maybe God's calling you to give gifts, life-saving gifts to a child that's in need, to somebody that needs it. How would your family look differently if you and your family, and by your family I mean that, you involve your kids as well. If you choose to prioritize gift giving, giving gifts to other people instead of just giving them to yourselves, instead of just toys that we forget about, or aren't that important, or we see a new commercial, and we want that instead. Another practical application of what the Magi did is that uh, these Magi were some of the most unlikely people to participate in the story. What happened, the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, yet what God does through Matthew is he tells us the story of Jesus, is that he highlights some non-Jewish people paying a huge role in the story, even more so, the magic, Magi would basically be a cross between astrologers and astronomers. If they wrote horoscopes in the newspaper, they'd be the people that would be writing that out. So why would God use them? Yet God works through them in an amazing way. 
And maybe I feel like sometimes it's the people of God, and God maybe feels like we might be the least likely person that God would use in his kingdom. Maybe you feel like God doesn't, I don't have anything to offer. I don't, I don't, there's nothing special or shiny or magnificent about me. And maybe you feel like I shouldn't even be involved. But what happens is that God wants you to participate to help in the lives of other people. God wants us to look to others before we look for ourselves. So no matter why you're here, we welcome you to take part in looking to others before we think about ourselves. And another, I think, real practical application to these magi and what they did is I don't think they had the full extent in their minds of how their gifts would have been used. Maybe it wasn't until they were traveling back home. And Scripture tells us that there were three gifts. It doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. There were probably a couple more because, you know, somebody forgot a gift. And, hey, can I put my name on that card with you too? But I can't help but wondering as they're traveling back home, they think, because they went through Herod. And they knew that Mary and Joseph weren't going to be able to go back home. And they look at that famine and they go, we're way better off than they are. They don't have the resources that we have. Hey, did you think that maybe those gifts that we gave them, that's going to keep them alive? Maybe that's a conversation they had as they traveled back home. Because even though they didn't fully understand how their gifts would be used, God knew how their gifts would be used. And he led them to be obedient and God was going to use those gifts. I wonder if in the same light that we're willing to do something significant for the kingdom of God. And I really believe that the best things that we're going to do for God's kingdom start out when we're just obedient with God in the little things. Maybe we can't possibly dream how me being responsible as God tells me to be with my finances will allow me to bless other people. Maybe I could never imagine how God will impact the lives of families and bring more people to Jesus because I'm willing to go volunteer and to help kids learn to read in schools or volunteer at other places or serve other people or get out of my comfort zone and to do what God is telling for me to do. And then just see how God is going to work with that. Now, the week before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples a story. This is still in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read that for us today. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it comes towards the end of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, around verse 34 is the main part, but I'll turn and read. I think, I think 31 is where I'm going to pick it up. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, okay? It's in red, if you have a red letter edition Bible, the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite term for himself. Most often refers to himself that way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will then sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered before all nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of these least of these brothers, you did to me. 
Whenever we do something to the least of these, these people most in need, Jesus says that he did it. we're doing that for him. So over this Christmas season, as we focus in on, on skinny Santa, we want you to take the skinny Santa challenge with us, and there's some components that go along with that, and it's threefold. It's share skinny and go skinny and live skinny. Let me explain what those are. The first thing I want you to do is share skinny, share the story. Share the real story of Nick and how he thought of others before he thought of himself, how he gave these gifts of gold to provide for this family that he just overheard, didn't have the means, but he did, and God gave it to him, so he wanted to provide it to other people. Because sometimes the most compelling thing that you can tell to somebody else is a story, not just a fictional story, but a real story that's going to intersect our lives, that's going to pierce our hearts, and that's going to change the way that we look at life. So invite your friends to come to church. Invite people to come and to be a part and to take this challenge with, with us. So, you know, it used to be Easter was the most, the biggest day of the year to invite people to come to church, and it's kind of shifted to Christmas. More often than not, people are willing to come to church if they're invited by somebody they know that cares about them. Or if they're given a genuine invitation from somebody. And I'm talk, not talking about people that go to other churches. I'm talking about people who are not involved. Talking about people who are not believers, who are not plugged in, who are not going to church anywhere. Maybe, just maybe, if you invite and you genuinely want them to come and you pray over it and say, God, give me somebody, and you invite them and you tell them these stories. And we talk about how the reality of our lives and the truth of the gospel intersect and they tell God the great, big, huge story. There's some resources that you can go to as well. If you wanted to share the video that we watched, there's a website that's been created, skinnysanta.org, and you can share those videos with people about Nicholas of Myra and how he gave because he wanted other people to know that they were loved and how they were cared from and how we can go from a getting mentality to a giving mentality and give that away to other people. So you can share the story, the story of skinny. You can also go skinny. And by that, it means that we can go skinny on gifts for ourselves this year so that we can help other people that are in need. I think this is something that scares us a little bit. We think, hey, our kids have this list, and they want all these things, and if they don't get them, honestly, we, we figure this out. Kids are so generous. They just have this spirit about them that wants to give, and they want to share. Now, sometimes they have to coax that into them for a variety of different ways, some more severe than others. But kids, the genuineness of their hearts that they want to share with other people. They're not going to be let down if they get less, yet they see us giving as parents as we lead our kids. As people who maybe don't have kids, but kids look up to us and they see what we're doing with our time and our resources, and we're going to give to other people. And what we can instill in the next generation is generosity towards other people instead of this consumer idea about I didn't get everything that I wanted. So we can go on this adventure together. Or maybe for you, it goes to what I talked about earlier in your budget and what you're going to spend this year for Christmas. You just allocate a portion that you're going to give away to somebody else. Maybe it's just cash. Maybe it's somebody in need and you're going to buy something for them. But I would encourage you to create some margins in your budget so that when God gives you the opportunity to give, you don't have to say, I wish that I could, but I'm just maxed out. I'm not going to be paying my bills if I don't. And God will give us the opportunity to give to others when we manage well what he has given to us. The third challenge isn't just to go skinny for now, but it's to live skinny on an ongoing basis. 
to give, to orient our lives in such a way that we know that God is the owner of everything. Scripture tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and anything that we have, God has entrusted to us for a season and we don't know how long. And what we always want to do, this idea of biblical stewardship, is I want to honor God with how I'm managing what he has entrusted to me. I'm a manager of just a little bit of what God has given us. And this final challenge is the biggest. Instead of just going skinny one month out of the year, what if you choose to live skinny on an ongoing basis so you could help somebody in need? Or specifically, a child in need. And there's a bunch of different really good organizations and ways that you can do that. There's some that are not so good, so I encourage you to do your due diligence before you go jumping in and helping. But you can sponsor a child through one of the organizations that I mentioned, like um, Compassion International. One of the things that Compassion does, if you wanted to sponsor a child for on an ongoing basis for about $40 a month, it provides them medical care and food and education, and they teach them about Jesus, and they teach them about God, and they let them know that they are loved and they are cared for, and that God sent Jesus to the cross for them. And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. You can even go to Compassion's website, and if you want a kid that has the same name as your kid, if you want somebody who's got the same birthday as you, or maybe you want a sentimental value to it, maybe your parents aren't with you anymore. And maybe you say, well, dad's birthday was June the 1st. I want a kid that has June the 1st birthday, and I'm going to honor my dad, and I'm going to remember him that way by giving. And just that little bit on an ongoing basis. And you can interact with these kids. You can write them letters, and you can provide for them. And they're all over the world in Asia and South America and Africa. Um, that's one way you can do that. Well, what Compassion also does is that they've got over 100,000 kids that are on the list waiting to be adopted that they're providing benefits to as if they already were adopted. Hey, friends, that sounds an awful lot like God <laughs> providing benefits to me that I don't deserve, doing things in my life before I come to follow him. But what they do is that there are 100,000 kids that they provide care, school, teach them about Jesus for kids that aren't adopted. They're not sponsored on a regular basis. And they do that through one-time gifts. So you can give in increments of 40 because it takes 40, about $40 a month uh, to cover these kids. So maybe you're saying, Joel, I can't, I don't, I'm not in not a place to do that long term. I'll just do it for a month. So you can go to their website and give $40. And that helps those 100,000 kids that they're already giving these things to know that they're cared for and they're loved. Now, the, one of the things that we see is that, for the most part, if you talk about Santa, kids like Santa, except if you try to get them on the lap and take pictures, they run scared. And those are the best pictures. We live in a Photoshop world where we want to, like, oh, that was a terrible picture. I want a real picture. Have you ever done that with a family picture where everybody's grumpy and fighting each other, but you smile for the picture? Oh, that's how Christmas 2017 was. We all got along so well. Look at that great picture when everybody hated everybody else. Sometimes I think we just need to leave Photoshop alone. We're like, hey, that's what happened. That's the reality of things. But I think the biggest thing for kids is that if they know somebody loves them and cares for them and wants the best for them, they're going to want to lean in and they're really going to want to pay attention. What if the purpose of St. Nick all along was to show people the love of Jesus? Was to let people know that they are cared for and that they are loved for and there's somebody who gave, provided for them when they didn't ask and they just knew that a need was met. Once during Jesus' ministry, too, people thought that Jesus was too busy for kids. After all, he was the Messiah. He was teaching. He had clout. He could heal people. And he, the disciples kind of shooed the children away. That happens in Matthew 19. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to these. This Christmas, let's look for ways how we can help those who aren't able at the time to help themselves. 
people who can experience the hope and the love and the truth of Jesus. It'll take us going skinny to do so, but I promise it'll be worth it. Let's pray. Father, you never ask us to do anything you didn't do yourself. God, I'm grateful for the example that you give us, how we follow after you with all that we have. God, thank you for not giving up on us when we fall short, when we ignore you, when we're hard of heart or hard of hearing or hard of doing and aren't willing to be obedient to what you tell us to do. God, I pray that you convict us to create some margins in our life so we've got some space, that we can allocate space for people who feel lonely. God, that we can allocate some space in our wallets to help others who are in need. God, may we not become so caught up with, well, what are they going to do with it and why they get in this situation? God, may we be generous as you are generous. And God, when we orient our lives in such a way, God, the phenomenal impact that will happen, not just on them, but on us, God, you'll change our hearts from the inside out. God, thank you for challenging us and for your word. God, your provision is so great. Thank you that your ways are so much better than ours, even when we do our very best to mess yours up. God in everything, may Jesus' name be proclaimed and preached. And all these things I pray in the name of Jesus, and I ask them in his name. Amen.